HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit www.rt11.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. All right. Once again, you have tuned in to the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are coming to you live from the back of Roberta's Pizza in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. You're listening to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks. Uh, I also am the executive director of the Radio Network. And each week on The Farm Report, we kind of live the mission of the network to start really exploring um, and examining current events in the world of agriculture and food. And today is no different. We are continuing the two-part series looking at South Carolina. We've got a jam-packed show today. Three guests, four guests possibly. Um, but right now we're on the line with Sarah Klo. Um Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Did I say your last name right? That's great. It's Clow. 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 I got nervous. <laughs> so, Sarah, you moved um, out to Charleston from San Francisco to open Grow Food Carolina, um, which is South Carolina's first local food hub. It's a, it's a program that was initiated, initiated by the Coastal Conservation League. We had their executive director, um, Dana Beach, on the show last week. So I'm excited to hear about, about the food hub and, and kind of how they tempted you, lured you from San Francisco out to Charleston. Um, uh, well, that, that's great. Yeah. I was, um, given the opportunity, um, to, to come and and help the Coastal Conservation League open Grow Food Carolina. And I had been working for a organic, uh, fruit marketing company in San Francisco and worked with um, many wonderful farmers out there. Um, and, you know, it was time for a change and to be able to come and really impact, um, a local food system um, by a already very well-respected nonprofit organization in the southeast. It was really kind of an opportunity um, that I um, was very passionate about um, and something that I just couldn't say no to. 
That's great. No surprises there. I mean, having been to Charleston, there's, I don't know, there's just an allure to that city and that state, and I like, can't wait to get back. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of the vision for, for Grow Food Carolina for the Food Hub and, and give us a sense of kind of where along that journey you're at right now. Great. So uh, local food hubs, um, there are um, a couple hundred around the country now, um, and um, with common goals, they all look very different, but essentially um, in local food systems, and there's been this great trend towards more local food, um, but there tends to be a missing link of infrastructure um, getting the um, fresh local produce actually from the farm um, to uh, consumers, retailers, restaurants, etc. Um, direct marketing um, from farmer to consumer is fabulous, and the number of farmers markets and CSAs um, has exploded in the last 20 years. Uh, and um, we we love all of that, but in really to encourage um, local food being not just a specialty, but um, part of everybody's everyday um, local food hubs. Um, or at least Grow Food Carolina makes that bigger impact by acting as a wholesale produce distributor. So um, we sell to restaurants uh, and local retailers uh, and um, institutions, so schools and universities, etc. So it's really about moving the needle um, in a faster, larger way. So this local, these local food systems and the local farmers. Um, can grow and, and prosper um, with um, with the with the times of local food being um, understandably um, a, a big demand for it in the market now. Yeah, and I'm excited. I mean, later in the program, we're going to hear with a produce manager at Earth Fair, one of the uh, main grocery chains in Charleston, and then also from one of the farmers who's worked with your organization, Carolyn Ben Williams, uh, over at Millgrove Farm. So what would you say, I mean, you did say that your organization is is one of a couple hundred of food hubs happening around the country. So what are the issues unique to South Carolina that are either challenging or make your job a little easier? Well, um, South Carolina has a rich tradition of farming. So in some aspects that has, you know, made um, the, the, idea of a local food hub here easier. Um, You know, we have similar challenges to other places, uh, logistics, um, you know, things of that nature. We work with growers in 120 miles of Charleston, which encompasses um, a little bit over than 60% of the state. Um, There are seasonal challenges um, here, definitely. Um, It's very hot here in the summer, um, which doesn't um, allow a lot of things to grow. And so um, we talk a lot about season extension. Um, Really diversifying what's grown locally is something that we talk about a lot as well. So there's a great um, and consistent, diverse product mix um, for the customers that we're serving. So, I, and I think it's, they, there just hasn't been one hub, literally, where all of these small to mid-sized family farms um, can come and um, use this as a vehicle to market their product. So all of the um, growers deliver their produce um, to Grow Food Carolina, and then we do all of the sales, marketing, and distribution for those growers. And we also do a lot of planning. Um, So really the main focus 
not the main focus, but one of the overriding focuses is aligning supply and demand. So we actually plan, you know, three months, six months, a year in advance with these growers um, as to what they're growing and the windows that they're growing in and what we know the demand is so that we can align these two points um, and therefore um, get that consistent diverse supply that I mentioned earlier. So if folks want to learn more about your work and stay in touch, they should definitely visit the the great website, growfoodcarolina.com. I'm curious, you know, can you give us a sense of the actual physical location? I mean, when someone says hub, you know, I picture kind of the great hubs of, you know, New York City, whether it's Grand Central Station or or Penn Station or the Hunt Point, like wholesale market. What, uh, right. what is a hub? What is your hub actually kind of consist of look like if you can paint us a, a picture? Yeah, we um, and it's actually a great story. We were donated um, the warehouse that we operate out of um, by a very generous family foundation um, just two years ago. And the one of the fabulous parts about the building is, is it's at the crossroads between um, I-26 and then um, 17, which is a, a state highway. Uh, and those are really the two main arteries in and out of Charleston. So one of the the things that the growers love the most is that they come and they deliver the product to the warehouse, and it's very easy for them because we are a half mile off of either of those locations, and they don't have to distribute downtown directly to the restaurants, which, you know, in downtown Charleston is incredible and beautiful and historic, but the streets are tiny and um, it can be crowded and and things of that nature. So we just have the benefit of this fabulous location where we are so near um, to the highway access, but also a mile away from one of the most celebrated and dense restaurant communities in the country. Nice. Well, that I mean, it's funny kind of how... um how, how, you know, blessings can come from, from all sides. And like logistically, it sounds like you guys were really lucky to land in such a great spot. Now, if somebody wants to, and we'll explore this a little bit more with the following guests, but what are the kind of barriers to entry as far as working with you? Do people have to hold a certain level of insurance? Is there an application process? Is there a volume constraint? Like, how does it, how does that process kind of look at the beginning? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we've only we've been open um, since October of 2011, uh, so we're still a very new organization. But the way um, we start to work with new farmers is generally a couple of phone calls, and then I do go out and visit each one of the farms um, and get to know the farmers and what they're growing better. We do require that everybody have a minimum amount of insurance, um, of liability insurance, but then all of those growers come underneath our umbrella liability policy policy, which enables us to sell to the larger institutions and retailers. Um, And from there, um, really, it's a, you know, we create a relationship. And so there aren't a lot of strict requirements to work with Grow Food Carolina. It's more about, like I talked about earlier, supply and demand and things of that nature. Um, We definitely have food safety guidelines um, that um, we have the farmers follow Etc. So um, it's not there. There aren't really a ton of barriers to entry, other than um, wanting to um, really kind of work with a you know local nonprofit wholesale distributor, um, where it's not um, a traditional um, terminal market model um, that they may have worked with otherwise. And then on the other end, for for folks who want to purchase from you, how do they 
how do they know kind of what you have in stock or or get in touch with you? Is there an email list or an order sheet or what does that look like from the... Exactly. There's an email list um, that we are happy to put, um, you know, restaurants and retailers um, and other folks that have, um, you know, retail food licenses on, and that's the main way that we distribute what our availability is. I send a price list out, um, an availability list out twice a week. And so we are um, very fortunate to work with um, many, many restaurants in town as well as the retailers and um, some institutions as well and and getting into the schools, um, you know, at the university level and, and all the way through and the hospitals in town is a big goal for us in the next couple of years. Yeah, well, you, you you took the question right out of my mouth. I was wondering what was on what were the what were the goals on the horizon. Well, so for from a from a customer standpoint, um, I think you answered that. But um, you know, maybe one last question before we bring Charles from uh, Earthfair on is what uh, what about goals from the producer end? Um, any any big things that you're looking to do in the next couple of years? Um, I, you know, I think we we continue. Um, we started with five farmers in October of 2011, and now we work with over 35 farmers. So that's just been an incredible experience, and we want to, you know, work with um, as many farmers as we can, um, you know, in, in the future. And a lot of what we do is not just add new farmers on, but, um, and Carol and Ben, who you'll speak with, are a great example. It's about utilizing all of the land that they have available that they wouldn't have been able to grow on otherwise because they didn't have a market. So in addition to finding new farmers, it's about, um, you know, the existing farmers that we're currently working with expanding. Um, And like I said before, season extension is a really, really big deal in South Carolina. So really kind of pushing the seasons on either end and diversifying their crop mix to make sure that they have something coming off of a tree or out of the ground as as long as they can. So there are a number of different focuses. Sounds like you've got your work cut out for you. (laughs) Yeah, we are busy, but um, I um, I can't thank the... Um, donors and the customers and the growers enough. Um, our first year was incredibly successful, and, and we look really, really forward to um, to the future. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. We'll have to stay in touch uh, in the in the months and years to come because I would be loving to kind of check back in and charting charting your progress. Um, we're going to ask uh, everyone to hang tight. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be on the line with. Charles Setter, who's the produce manager of Earth Fair in South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina. So one sec, we'll be right back. You're listening to My Used to Be by Pamela Royal on the Heritage Radio Network.org. The following program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. 
From the moment Route 11 potato chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. An incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. All right, we are back. You've tuned in to the Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. And I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks, and we are on the line uh, with a man of many first names, which I botched uh, in your introduction. You go by Matt, right? I do, correct. Okay. Matt, you are the produce manager over at Earth Fair in, in Charleston, South Carolina. And you've been working professionally in the produce world for the last 15 years. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's been a long time. It snuck up on me there, but I, uh, I've loved every year of it, no doubt. <laughs> so for folks who aren't familiar with Earth Fair, can you give us just a little bit of a sense of, of the store? Well, we're, we're like a typical grocery store only. We, we cater more towards uh, natural foods and organic foods and the right way of, of doing things. And uh, especially in our produce department, we definitely we try to push uh, organic all the way, uh, no pesticides, none of that, none of that junk on it, but... Uh, um, we definitely, definitely support that stuff. Nice. So you do some work with Grow Food South Carolina. Can you tell me how that relationship started? Yeah, oh, over a year ago now, Sarah, Sarah came in and she introduced herself and said they were looking to open up a warehouse downtown and if we were interested in carrying the product. And she was just full of energy and you could tell she had also been in the business a while and had a passion for it. And we uh, just took it from there and it's been successful ever since. Nice. Now, I know one of the challenges um, in, in the produce world um, is that consumers really have an expectation of access to all things at, at all times. So how do you kind of manage the seasonal inflow outflow to keep the, the sh- shelf stock with, you know, tomatoes per se year round um, and kind of communicating um, some of that uh, difference to your customers? Uh, patience. That's, uh, that's the main thing. Customers definitely... They definitely expect everything year-round, and I, I can understand them, and it's, uh just have to educate them, and I, uh, I try to do that on an individual basis whenever I can. Some of them are understanding, and others aren't, but a lot of them, a lot of them understand. So you are originally from Pennsylvania. I mean, what have you found um, different uh, about being in South Carolina? Like, what are the things that, as a produce purchaser, are easier to access or, or harder to access? I definitely feel like there's more of a local movement down here, and maybe I just didn't notice it when I was still living up there, but we, we got a lot in from New Jersey, got a lot of good crops, corn, but down here there seems to be a bigger movement. People, people really seem to, to care about buying locally and supporting all, all the local growers and all the local facilities, and um, it's, it's been a lot of fun. It really has. So now when you're working with uh, Grow Food Carolina, do you... Do you get information on the product in the farm of origin, or how much do you know kind of when you place an order from them? Can you select a, a specific farm that you like to work with, or do you kind of put an order in for, you know, tomatoes or corn or okra, and, and they show up and you go from there? They, no, they, they give me all the info about all the farmers. They've even gone uh, to, to good lengths of giving me information, even give me a little... Uh, little cards I can put uh, by my product to let the people know what farm it's coming from. And 
they even uh, they put nutritional information on there, and they've they they give me all the details. They've been they've been great. They really have. So I'm curious, you know, in the, the produce is a, is a tough business. I, you know, we my my boss uh, Patrick Martins, who started the um, radio station, often jokes that people are nice. You know, uh, retailers are nice in in accordance to how quickly their product goes bad. So, um, you know, cheese producers are, are super nice and friendly because, you know, their product can age and, and sit around for a while. Meat producers less so. But I think produce, I mean, your stuff has got to be kind of coming in and out on a regular clip. So how do you kind of manage the inflow of outflow of that? Like, what are the real kind of challenges in your position? Well, it's definitely challenging following the market, following the prices, you know, Sometimes uh, the the prices get spiked up and people get upset, and I try to explain them. You know, it's like right now it's a little cold in California and Arizona, so you know, spinach spinach is non-existent, and there's just a lot of a lot of issues. And again, it just comes down to patience and just trying to educate the customers. And I got a great team. I got a great great group of uh, employees working for me, and I'm uh, I'm very lucky in that. Yeah, can you give me a sense of, you know, maybe pick a, a particular, uh, you know, fruit or vegetable, uh, a sense of kind of volume that, that you're working with and kind of how quickly something would come in and then go out of the store? Uh, like kale, for instance. I'll order, let's say, eight cases of kale on a Monday and come, there's 24 heads in each case, and come Wednesday, they're all gone. People are definitely, uh, especially this time of year, the resolution time, everyone's juicing, and uh, we, we move through a lot of products. Yeah, so I heard you're you're an avid juicer. What's your go-to juice this time of year? Mine is a, uh, we call it a go-go green. It's got uh, spinach, celery, parsley, uh, some wheatgrass, and I like to add a little bit of uh, apple to it for some sweetness. really uh, gives me an energy boost every day. I love it. So I'm sure that, you know, obviously you work with Grow Food Carolina, and you probably deal with uh, a mix of other kind of produce providers. Um, can you just kind of give us a sense of, of how that how that looks? I mean, is it handled by kind of a major distribution network? So you're kind of dealing with, you know, a collection of five to ten people on a weekly basis, or is it like a hundred people? Or, you know, how many different relationships are you managing week to week? Luckily, I don't have too many, um, especially this is why I was so excited when Grow Food opened up, because they bring all the local farms into one place, and it, just, it makes it really easy for me to, to access everything. Whereas everything else, I, I deal with one major distributor out of Ohio, and they're, they're excellent. They've got good relationship, relationships with uh, Cal Organic and a lot of the, the big, big-name organic brands, and they're, 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 they're excellent. They really are. Nice. So what do you see, um, you know, kind of going forward, how do you, how do you anticipate being able to grow uh, as Grow Food Carolina grows? I hope we... Just keep getting bigger and bigger. I'm going to keep uh, dedicating a bigger section in my department. Uh, they're right, right in front of the store, right when you walk in. Uh, I hope to keep expanding it, and I hope to even have some have some events at the store as well. You know, hook up with Grow Food and bring some farmers out, and it's uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Nice. It's nothing quite like having that personal relationship, uh, especially for customers to come in and be able to, you know, shake the hand and ask questions of the people producing their food. I think that's so important. It's great that you guys are open to that kind of work it is because people people want to know you know who's growing it where is it coming from and what it, are they using chemicals and they they want to know that stuff and they like you're right they want to shake their hand and they want to look them in the eye and get all the information 
Matt, well, I know that you are working today, so thank you for taking a little time off the floor and, and giving us an update. And we'll definitely be looking forward to staying in touch with you as we stay in touch with Grow Food Carolina. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. All right. Well, folks, stay tuned. We have uh, one more set of guests in our jam-packed South Carolina up today. We're going to be on the line with Carol and Ben Williams of Milgram Farms in one moment. So hold tight while we take a short break. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. back. You are tuned into the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to the Farm Report, and we are continuing our conversation around the agriculture of South Carolina, and we are on the line with the Williams of Millgrove Farms. Um, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? This I'm, is Carol Williams. I'm going to guess that you're Carol. <laughs> <laughs> so, Carol, um, we have been chatting with a couple of folks who take part in the Grow Food Carolina uh, Food Hub program. And I wanted to get your perspective as a producer. Now, you started working with the project when it, when it began this past October. Can you tell us a little bit about how that relationship started? Absolutely. It began through a relationship here in Georgetown County with Nancy Cave, who was actually with Coastal Conservation. 
and Coastal Conservation um, are the supporters of Grow Food Carolina. So immediately when the hub actually began to be formed, we were, of course, extremely interested to get involved and to meet, you know, the individuals involved in, in building Grow Food Carolina. So it's been a great relationship for us. Now, you guys have a, a history. Now, you farm coastal Bermuda hay. What yes, is ma'am. that? What is that? <laughs> That's actually a grass. It's a perennial grass that you actually cut preferably three or four times a year. Sometimes the weather has variables on that. But it's a grass that you feed to um, cows, horses, goats, and animals such as that. Now, had you guys been doing much other vegetable production prior to getting engaged with this program? Not a whole lot, mostly for personal use. So what are you growing now for, for the program? Well, right now we have watermelon radishes, garnet mustards, uh, uh, garnet wedding frills mustard, a tat soy. We do two different types of salad mix, a braising and a salad mix. We have purple top turnips coming in right now. Um, and uh, that's all I can think of off the top of my head. It sounds like a delicious selection. So, <laughs> so I mean, how did you make that transition of your operation to adding like this, essentially a whole new kind of component to your business? Does that mean you guys brought on some extra staff, or are you just working longer hours? <laughs> we absolutely work longer hours. Um, unfortunately, in 2009, my husband was laid off from his job. He was a plantation manager due to the economic situation. Um, and he came and he said, I think I'll be a full-time farmer. And I said, great, we're going to do it different always because I've had a passion for food. And he has a wonderful passion for the land as well as the products that he grows. At the time, we had two children in college at Clemson University. So we got busy, did a lot of studying, did a lot of homework, visited farmer's markets, visited farms. And we decided that absolutely sustaining the land and making it last forever on its own was the way we wanted to go, which is what's created the, the desire in us to go organic versus conventional. So how did that, uh, when did you guys start planting your first crops, and did you know what your market would be, the end market where you were going to be selling them when you started, or were you kind of, you know, shooting it with a, a little bit of a wish and a prayer? Actually, I think at that point we had our market on our farm, and we were actually uh, marketing a little bit here in our town. We were not doing a farmer's market in town. We actually had a little market out on our farm. And we began to just kind of draw folks in that manner. But until we really, grow food really began, we didn't really know exactly how we were going to market it in, in any great degree to where it could be actually profitable to make a living and to keep the farm going. So how does it work operationally? I mean, how often, how many times a week are you kind of harvesting and and making deliveries to the hub? Wow. We pick every Monday for delivery Tuesday mornings to Charleston, and we pick all day on Wednesday for delivery to Charleston on Thursday mornings. And now, did you guys have to purchase like a a refrigerated truck or kind of containers for doing the transport? What What were some of the other kind of infrastructure costs? that went into uh, the expansion? Well, there are actually a lot of infrastructure costs, and, of course, just starting out, and, of course, we did that. Um, we didn't have a lot of that, so we've had to really limp along and do the best we could. However, there has been a grant written, um, and there's a transport trailer, a refrigerated trailer on the way to be used in our community to transport our vegetables as well as other farmers to Charleston. Wow, that's great. So it'll be kind of a shared-use vehicle. Right, right. And then as a, as a result of that, once again, we have a market here in town now, 
and we're able to bring back from Charleston area what's grown locally down there so we can actually be a full local market with lots of opportunity. That's exciting. So, you know, I think one of the things as a producer that allows you to really do some kind of significant planning and, and investment in, in the property and infrastructure around food production is knowing that you're going to going to have this market there when it comes time to harvest your crop. So now that you have this relationship opening, opening up with the food hub and, and things are kind of kicking along, what are the plans for the farm over the next, you know, three to five years? Are you looking to continue to plant, plant more land or just kind of refine the work that you're doing now? No, ma'am, absolutely. We fully intend to eventually transition all of our land into an organic production Maybe not all of it being vegetables, but a great deal of it being produce. Um, we also do pasture-raised chickens as well as eggs on our farm. So we, of course, want to, you know, encourage uh, an area for that as well. Nice. That sounds great. So um, it sounds like the, the relationship with Grow, Grow Food California, or California, geez, I'm jumping across the country here. Grow Food Carolina ha- is really integral to the development of your farm, and, and so how do you, I mean, how do you engage or how do they engage farmers in, in their planning process and as they look to expand and, and kind of offer, um, uh, you know, clear lines of communication or distribution on your end? Um, do you guys have like a farmer or producer council or how do you kind of communicate with the organization? That has not actually been developed on our end. Um, there are some small co-ops um, existing now, but I think as we go along, I think we're going to see a great deal more involvement in that type of thing. Nice. That's like looking forward to kind of staying in touch. Now, Carol, if folks want to learn more about your farm, do you guys have a, a website or an email that I should direct them to? Or can you give us a little bit of info on the market that you're at if, if folks are in the area and want to swing by and say hello? Absolutely. We have a website, which is Melgrove Farms. It's just our name, M-I-L-L-G-R-O-V-E, Farms, plural. And our email is just the same at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out of um, what I'm sure is a a busy day um, and sharing a little bit of your story. And I hope to stay in touch in the years to come. I definitely look forward to kind of following up on what's happening in the South Carolina region. Well, thank you kindly, and thanks for including us, and have a great day. Um, definitely a, a huge thanks to the Co- Coastal Conservation League for facilitating this two-part series. It's been really fun to kind of get to touch on some of the issues, and we'll definitely be revisiting in the months and, and years to come. Uh, stay tuned uh, for another episode of the Farm Report next Thursday. We're going to be in studio with Eric Hoffner of the Orion Institute. should be a fascinating discussion on the work of that organization. As always, if you like what you hear, we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization and depend on the support of our listeners. You can make a donation and become a member of the radio network by visiting us at www.heritageradionetwork.org. Uh, stay tuned in. Stay tuned. The, group far- the Grow NYC Farmers Market Update is coming up next right after the Farm Report. And we will be chatting with you uh, again next week, next Thursday. So tune in and thanks for listening.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. What's hot at the green market? You're about to find out now. It's the Grow NYC Market Update. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Grow NYC Market Update. We are on the line with Liz. How are you, Liz? Hey, Aaron. I'm great. You know, it is so cold out. I, I want to, to start, the, start the show out by just giving a big shout out to your Winter Warrior program and, and definitely um, saying kudos to the folks who are heading out to the markets um, to, to chat with farmers and support them. I know it's definitely a tough time of year to be standing on the concrete slinging, oh, yeah. slinging uh, locally produced goods. Oh, yeah, and um, the customers who have checked in up to 10 times, which they've had an opportunity to do at Union Square since the program started, um, because the market's four days a week, they can check in at 10 times as of this week. They're getting a bag of pretzels um, or other treats from the market that the staff is collecting. So people are, people are winning this week if they're making it out there. Nice. So yeah. t- today we are going to do a little chatting about duck, right? Yeah, yeah, delectable duck products. I'm really excited to talk about duck. Um, So I have to say, first off, I have a soft spot for talking about duck because my dad is an avid duck hunter. He just bought 80 acres in the Mississippi Delta is probably at this very moment sitting in a duck blind. So this segment is a little bit of an ode to him. He's waiting in the freezing cold for um, a flock of unsuspecting mallards to come on in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But our customers do not have to go through all of that by any means because various green markets around the city we have Really great duck products, duck confit, smoked duck breasts, fresh moulard eggs and thighs, duck bacon, rillettes, um, duck prosciutto, duck salami, and duck ragu. Uh, duck is a, a little bit darker, gamier, fattier, uh, has a very distinct taste, and, um, but a great alternative to chicken and fish dishes. And also, bonus, because they're waterfowl, they have a layer of fat between the skin and the meat, making them extra delicious. Oh, man, I'm such yeah. a huge fan of duck fat. I use, I, I use it in the winter to pop my popcorn. Oh, <laughs> it's just like uh, kind of kind of makes the house smell a little funky, but it tastes great. Yeah. So, um, so who should we be looking for at the market? Who are the the duck producers that we want to talk about today? Yeah, the one in particular I want to highlight is Hudson Valley Duck Farm. They're a two hundred acre farm in Sullivan County. Uh, Matt Igo, who runs their farmers market side, because they have a big online presence for all of their products, also. But Matt, um, Matt's very special to us. He used to be a green market market manager. He knows green market workings inside and out. He's managed markets um, at Union Square and other markets around the city. Um, and now he's a producer, so he's really seen both sides. Um, he participates on our Farmer Consumer Advisory Committee, um, specifically working on doing market assessments, collecting and providing um, feedback from producers and customers w- along with us and then helping us um, use that information to make our markets better. So on top of that, he provides us with really great duck products. So, um, yeah, we're big fans of Matt. Nice. Well, one of the things, you know, you of the products you mentioned, a lot of them have been kind of 
cooked or processed in some way. So is that happening usually right on the farm or, or where does that kind of second degree of uh, action come in? Yeah, it's really interesting because um, they have their farm and processing facility all in one spot in Sullivan County together. So all the from breeding to packaging, all of it in the same spot. Um, so they have a a variety of du- or a breed of duck called Moulard duck. It's a breed that um, it's a crossbreed between a Muscovy and a Pekin fem- a Muscovy male and a Pekin female. They, it's an artificial insemination deal, um, <laughs> and as a hybrid, it, it's more resistant to disease than either of their parent, and it allows them to do the entire production under one roof. So, uh, but the science behind all of that is a little bit lost on me. You'd have to have Matt on to explain it, but um, but yeah. So they process. Um, all the ducks on site, and, you know, to make the duck confit, they um, season it, cook it in duck fat, they, the smoked duck press, they cook, um, they hot smoke it over apple wood, uh, the prosciutto, they air dry for 60 days, they cure it and then air dry it for 60 days in the drying room. So, um, yeah, so they do everything on site, so that, that's really nice. It doesn't have to leave the facility to, in order to get processed. Nice. Now, I, I have to say that my favorite kind of cooking preparation with duck is is probably duck livers, uh, you know, seared in a pan with some bacon and some sautéed onions. But what are some other good ways for folks to enjoy duck once they get at home? Yeah, that, that sounds like a perfect way, especially this winter when it's extra cold. But, um, yeah, it's very versatile. It's really good as a side dish or an entree, um, without a doubt, a great conversation piece and showstopper at dinner parties. So at market these days, we've been demoing duck breasts um, by cooking it with some braising greens. I mean, if we can do that at a market when it's 20 degrees outside, then you can definitely recreate that dish at home. And um, our director, Michael, told me this morning he likes to butterfly the duck breast, steam them first thing, then immediately cool it, and the next day render the fat. And, of course, after that, use the duck fat um, to cook everything else. Yeah, there's, <laughs> nothing, yeah, there's nothing like having a quart of duck fat in your kitchen to just kind of brighten up any meal, if you will. Now, um, I know for, for the team over at Grow NYC that, that January, February is often kind of the only time of year you guys get to step away, catch up on vacations, um, and, and get some time off. So definitely um, looking forward to um, seeing some you know well-rested and relaxed faces as we move closer and closer towards the spring. Um, just curious, like, does that, are you guys taking some time off with event wise or, or what's going on in that neck yeah. of the woods? We really, we work so hard in the summer that a lot of people take off a lot of time in the winter, which is really nice. And slowly people are coming back from vacation or leaving right about now. So, um, so our office is certainly emptier than usual, but we do keep our 22 markets open. Um, but as far as big events, outside events, we don't have that much planned for February. Um, I did want to give a shout-out to Union Square's new Tumblr feed um, because, especially helpful in the winter months, we are posting every single market day which farmers are in, which ones are out. You know, sometimes they're getting a lot more weather upstate than we are, so you know, uh, some of the producers can't get in. So you can see that morning by about 9 a.m. who's in, who's out. And then they're going to post also photos of the items that you just, you don't want to miss that day. So it's unionsquaregreenmarket.tumblr.com. And we always link it to our Twitter feed so customers can find it there too. But I think it'll be really helpful to all of our green market chefs out there that want to know who's in before they head out to market. Yeah, that sounds like making a making a nice list before you get out in the cold is probably the way to go for the next couple of weeks. Well, yeah. Liz, thanks so much for uh, taking some time to give us an update. Um, as always, if folks want to find out more info on the farmers, the market, 
uh, one of the many great volunteer opportunities. They can check out the Grow NYC website. It's www.grownyc.org or check them out on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, any way you want it. They've got, they've got you covered. Um, thanks a lot, Liz, and tune in next week on Thursdays for another episode of the Grow NYC Market Update. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.